Hey, Kevin Schmidlin here, host of Philly Who. Just here to say before we start, if you like the show, be sure to check out the earlier episodes with other doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. And let me know on Twitter and Instagram at PodPhillyWho what Philly stories you'd like to hear. Or just post with the hashtag PhillyWho. All right, let's get to it. You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with Alex Hillman. Alex is the co-founder of Indie Hall, one of Philly's first ever co-working spaces. Indie Hall today features around 350 independent entrepreneurs and freelancers. But back in 2006, when Alex was a freelancer himself, freelancing wasn't so common and could be pretty lonely. Alex loved the independent life, but he missed the camaraderie found in the workplace. So he set out to find his peers. This is the sixth largest city in America. There's got to be another me that is sitting in their bedroom going, I wonder where my people are. In this episode, you'll hear how he found his people and how this group of fellow independents grew and that they had the crazy idea to actually get together and do their work in the same place. The simple notion of what if we all went to the same cafe on the same day at the same time on purpose was kind of a revelation. And how Indie Hall has been growing and bringing together independence for more than 10 years. We've got a bunch of people who don't need a place to work, but they really want a door to be able to walk through and on the other side of the door for there to be people that they trust. All this and more about Alex Hillman, Indie Hall, and declaring your own independence in Philadelphia right now on Philly Who. How cool would it be for people to move to Philadelphia because it's the best place in the country to go out and do your own thing? I'm your host, Kevin Schmidlin. Stay tuned. So Alex Hillman grew up about 90 minutes north of Philly in the Lehigh Valley, which incidentally is also the stomping grounds of yours truly. But unlike my upbringing in the fairly typical suburbs of Bethlehem, Alex was raised in Hellertown with a huge 17-anchor swampy yard between a corn farm and a horse farm. On the rare occasion that he wasn't mowing his family's massive lawn, he would build and fix computers. He enjoyed the variety of small business so much that he decided to study business in college, and to do so, he came to the mystic world of Philadelphia and its legendary sidewalks. Though, he would quickly become disenfranchised with the intro-level business classes he was taking at Drexel, and when the time came for a co-op placement, he elected to try something he hadn't done before and took a job writing software. I ended up falling in love with building things on the internet within a few weeks. He would love this job so much, in fact, that when the co-op was complete, he didn't even go back to school. I said, look, this is really simple for me. I was going to school and I wasn't learning anything and I was paying a lot of money. And I come here and I learn new things every day and I get paid for it. I can't figure out why I'd want to keep doing the first thing when the second thing is still an option. So he dropped out of school and for a couple years he worked as an employee full time. But after that company collapsed and his next job didn't have a good culture, he decided to take a leap that is extremely common now, but back in 2006 was kind of unheard of. When I came home 
and told my girlfriend that I was going to quit and do the freelance thing full time, her first response was, well, we're going to live in a box on the side of the road. And I was like, well, you know, really, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. But honestly, like worst case scenario, I can go get another job that I hate. But I'm pretty sure that if I take the hours during the day that I'm put giving to this employer and put them into going to find some of my own clients, into reaching out to the people that I worked with in the past at refinery or elsewhere in the city, if, I, if I'm willing to put in the work and then do the work that I already know I'm good at, I think I can make this work. So at this point, you're freelancing. You're working from home most of the time now? Yeah, yeah. So working out of the, the out of our apartment um, and loving life, honestly. Like I've got sort of the the control that I wanted. I get to work on stuff. I get to work on cool stuff. I get to pick what I work on. Um, and I've got clients like uh, we're doing online campaigns for Virgin Mobile, and we're doing interactive emails because that was a thing then, uh, and. I can also look at a project and think to myself, I don't know how to do this, but I'm pretty sure I can learn. And so I'm literally getting paid to try new things, do new things and help people along the way. And it was, it was the best. I could work when I wanted. I could work as many hours as I wanted, as, as few hours as I wanted. Um, the, I'd say the, the worst part about it was I was enjoying it so much that i was probably working more hours than I should have. Um, and then the other part of it that was really challenging was I realized that I've got, you know, my, my online coworkers, my virtual coworkers, some of them are people that I collaborate with consistently. Some of them are just like a handful of chat rooms that I'd become active in just to be connected to other humans. But it was very easy for it to be multiple days in a row where I could, you know, stop who knows where this, you know, was it daytime, nighttime, who knows, and realize I'm not really sure when the last time I left the house was. And I really missed having coworkers. I missed the good parts of having coworkers. And I was trying to fill that in with the sort of virtual stuff, but it, it was it was only as good as the virtual stuff can be uh, when you've only got a couple of people you're connected to. Right. So at this point, you finally got the control of the work that you're doing, you're loving that, but you've lost out on the piece that you've already identified as crucial, which is the community and the relationships. Exactly. So do you start thinking to yourself, how can I have both? Yeah, well, and the, I started getting drawn to a place where I saw the community. What was that? San Francisco. Again, we're thinking mid 2000s, right? And I'm doing some work with some consultants in the Bay Area. This is sort of like peak web 2.0. So like Flickr.com is at, at its hotness. Social networks are like barely a mainstream thing. Twitter uh, at this point had not actually been invented yet. And I'm working, I'm doing some consulting work with these Bay Area consultants. And the more I sort of plug into their world, even from 3,000 miles away, I'm like, my people, the people who love to make things, put them on the internet, things that people actually use. They don't debate whether or not it's a good idea. They just go do it. Yeah. The only problem is, is they're all the way over there. Pretty far away. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, we talked about what it would be like for me to move to San Francisco to work in their studio a couple days a week. They you know, hooked me up with some potential job interviews. 
and uh, I had a I had a Silicon Valley startup job lined up. I was gonna move and work in Mountain View and live in the Bay Area and work a couple days a week out of their co-working space that was brand spanking new. And and um, I ran into this. It was my first real interaction with a startup where I was asking questions about my relocation and and my my compensation and how this is gonna work because I'm moving myself and my girlfriend across the country. And I wasn't feeling very confident about their answers. Okay. Um, Why was that? Well, I, they were flying, it was, they were flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, they were making things up as they go, which I mean, that is to a large degree how a lot of early stage companies are, but I wasn't prepared to put myself and at this point, more importantly, another person in those hands. And, uh, and I ended up, stepping away from the job and saying, I'm not feeling super confident that by the time we get there, you're even still going to be in business. Right. <laughs> like you can cut checks right now, but in terms of, you know, your confidence and where it is that I'm going to work and where it is that I'm going to live, I'm not feeling it guys. Uh, so it was one of the harder professional decisions I made. And, you know, this thing that I thought was going to give me my dream uh, to be like, nah, I don't, I don't think this is the one. So you stayed in Philly instead. So some some deep soul searching and said, well, what was I leaving Philly for? It wasn't for the job. It was just a job. The job is sort of a means to the end, right? And it wasn't even for the Bay Area itself. I had never been. I was doing this sight unseen. I'd heard it was cool. It seemed really cool. But I was really doing it to be connected to this group of people that I felt even from 3,000 miles away, more connected to than I could find in my own city. And in that reflection thought, well, what if I can find a couple of them here? If I like, I love everything else about Philadelphia. If I can find those couple of like-minded people, I never have to leave. That's interesting because you said that it was that particular job and that particular startup that held you from going there, but it was the actual pull of the community in San Francisco that was pulling you out there. So what made you think that you could make it happen here? Well, I didn't have an it to make happen. To be honest, I think that might have been part of part of the advantages. At that stage, I just wanted to prove to myself that there was, you know, one, two or three other people. And if I could do that, then I could feel pretty confident that there, there were more. Um, and I mean, math, right? This is a big city. This is the sixth bigger largest, than San Francisco. much bigger than San Francisco, sixth largest city in America. There's got to be another me that is sitting in their bedroom going, I wonder where my people are, right? And look, if I find that they're not here, then the Bay Area is not going anywhere. So let me see who I can find. So what's step one to find those people? Look everywhere. The trouble with, you know, whether you're trying to build uh, a, a professional community or anything, like people aren't going to just show up on my doorstep. I can't do a Craigslist post. Um, you got to think about where, where the people are. And so I'm looking at, again, this is pre-meetup.com. I'm looking at user groups. I'm looking at email lists. Uh, like the nexus of a lot of what I found was an organization called PANMA, the Philadelphia Area New Media Association, which 12 years ago had been around for over a decade, which begs the question, what exactly is a new media association right. <laughs> yeah. when it's a decade old? 
they held a, num- a handful of events, but they had this email list. And the email list was full of a really broad spectrum of people, broadly creative people, broadly digital creative people. There was still some like print design holdouts, but there were some web design people, some people that had made the transition. There were some people making things on the internet. And that was all I needed to see to know that I'm not the only one. Yeah. So you reach out and say, hey, guys, you want to, hey, guys and girls, you want to meet up? Yeah. Uh, or I would go to places where they were already meeting up and I just introduced myself. And the thing I quickly realized was there was a lot, a lot of people in these rooms, so to speak, whether, you know, it's a happy hour or a, a talk or a virtual room, like a chat room or an email list. The majority of the people were not the people I was looking for, but I kind of had to figure out how to hang out long enough and have enough conversations to find the one that made it worth being there that evening, that discussion, whatever it might be. Uh, and, and to be willing to weather a lot of people telling me that thing you're looking for isn't here, kid. Um, and what I really think I was looking for was the one other person who was in the room thinking, Am I the only one? Uh, and as soon as I find that person, I I just sort of latch on and say, hey, like, we should go grab a drink and talk about work or Philly or literally anything. Like, we clearly have something in common. So it was this sort of repetitive process. I'm probably going out four or five, six nights a week to anything I can find, including things that are not my wheelhouse. Like it's not just web dev stuff. I'm going to, you know, Linux user group stuff, but I'm also going to design stuff. I'm going to business stuff. I'm going to art stuff. Really anywhere that creative people are hanging out, I'm I'm here to survey the room and see who I might find, who I might meet. That sounds exhausting. It was. Uh, and, you know, I have the for- fortune at the time where all I really had was my my freelance work. And again, I'm in control of my time. So uh, I was able to, you know, raise my rates a little bit, regain a little bit of my time yeah. and put that time back into going out and finding my people. So at what point did you start to have the ideas that would evolve into Indie Hall? The, the things we had in common weren't just the discipline of design or web development or even freelancing or business. The conversation started lending themselves to like Philly's really cool, right? Yeah. Like this city is kind of amazing. And the city in a lot of ways lets us do the work that we do even if our clients aren't here. There's this kind of incredible quality of life, cost of living ratio that I've only since really been able to think about many years later, but like this city is the perfect balance of the, the life and pace of somebody who wants to do their own thing without having to work, you know, 20 hours a day just in order to pay the rent and sort of realizing the city is good. Why doesn't anybody realize it? You know, the city's got this reputation of being, you know, sort of the little brother of New York yeah. and sort of like a lot of our, our inferiority complex was showing up and I was being like, do you not realize what we're sitting on here? Yeah. And those are the people that I, I felt getting the closest to. And, and honestly, more than anything else, it just became this social group of people who were optimistic for Philly, who believed Philly was better than most people realized it, it already was and that there was still endless potential for what it could become. 
and that it was the place that would let us work the way we want to work, live the way we want to live. And if we did that together, it would only be better. Yeah. So you decided to get a space and start doing it together. Well, before we even thought about getting our own space, it was just hanging out in you know, bars and cafes, going to other people's events. We, you know, before we ran our own events, we I would go to other people's events looking for people. Once I meet one, two, three people, I'd say, "Do you all want to go to that meetup?" I was going to go to anyway. Just doing things together is the simplest act of community building. It's not you know, an online social media platform. And it's not even producing an event. It's just like going and doing stuff together. Um, you know, there's a new restaurant opening. Let's go check it out. Let's go hang out in the park. Uh, and one of the things that somebody uh, suggested about six months into doing that was us going to a cafe to work together on purpose, which sounds in hindsight so obvious. But the reality was, most of us were working from home. Those of us who were working from home occasionally worked from a cafe just to get out of the house. And and the simple notion of what if we all went to the same cafe on the same day at the same time on purpose was kind of a revelation. How did you feel when that was first suggested? It was so exciting. So exciting to be like, oh, we can do that. Like no one can stop us really and if we're really smart about it we can reach out to a cafe that we like and say hey this isn't going to be a problem right and to be embraced by the cafe and say that sounds cool that you would want to do that and to have that first group of like six or eight people spend a day together in a room and this is where it gets even funnier so so in between us getting together in person we had an online gathering places as well. We had a, uh, a Google group email discussion list for talking about stuff that was coming up or, you know, it was a place to invite people to when we met new people, when we were out. We also had a, a chat room using campfire for that. And I remember at the very first time we hung out in a cafe, we had the campfire chat room going because there was like six of us in a room. There was a handful of people that were either on site with their employer or a client, or they were just interested in what we were doing from afar. I remember there was a guy I'd met, his name was Jacob, and Jacob actually was hanging out with our community in the chat room from DC, just because he thought it was interesting that we would all be getting together like this. And somebody cracks a joke in the chat room, and a room full of people laugh, but all the people that aren't in the chat room don't know that we're all in a chat room. <laughs> and it was sort of this, there was this it was a beautiful example of this sort of invisible connection becoming visible. And that's what those events were. That's what for me community building is, is invisible connections becoming visible so that other people can discover them and become a part of it. And we did that for a few months until it was obvious that, you know, the chairs are not super comfortable and the Wi-Fi is not always reliable and the barista might not always want us there. Yeah, And, we started talking about what it would be like if we did have our own place. Uh, and you know, what if the club had a clubhouse and that sort of brought me back to the group that I was working with in San Francisco who had started what was literally the first dedicated co-working space in the Bay area called citizen space. Um, other spots had popped up before that, but this was the first spot that A, used the word co-working and B, had sort of this clubhouse model. It was a place to work, but it was a place where if you went, 
there was an element of serendipity that, you know, the founder of Flickr.com might be there or some other like internet famousy person just hang out. Uh, and I started describing that to this group of friends here and they were like, yeah, yeah, we need to do that. And at that moment, it wasn't my idea. It was a thing we were going to do together. And I don't think it was ever my idea to start a co-working space. I don't think I would have or could have started a co-working space if it was my idea that I was trying to get other people on board with. But we had sort of built this thing together. And now this thing, this community, um, which is such a funny word. Like the word community is a really tough word to describe even the experience now in hindsight, because it, it obviously was, but the word community is used to describe so many things that I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like the word community is accurate enough to describe what we had created. It really was these, these relationships, relationships where people felt like we could do anything because we had each other's backs. And now we just had a new challenge to face together and say, can we find a place? What would that cost? How do you do that? Who's going to sign a lease? And all of the questions that start of un unfolding from there. And that was the very beginning of what would eventually turn into uh, the place we're sitting today. So at that point, you know, you have all these big, scary questions. How are we going to pay for this? You know, how do we sign the lease? What happens if we don't make rent? Like who's responsible? How did you guys decide to tackle those issues? Well, being a not independently wealthy freelancer, I had, you know, limited funds as well. Sure. And it wasn't going to be really easy for us to go get a loan. So we did what I would refer to effectively as like hipster crowdfunding. Like it was, all right, let's go look for what we need. Um, let's go scout Craigslist. Let's go check out spots together. And if we find a place we like, we can start looking at the numbers together. And uh, the role I took on at that point with, um, with my momentarily to be business partner, Jeff, was how do we reverse engineer the thing that we want into a thing we can have? So walk me through day one. So day one was, you know, here's a, a few Craigslist posts to go look for. Let's go see him. Let's go see him. We go to them together. We take pictures. We post those pictures to Flickr, which I mean, today would be Instagram, right? Um, and we share it back with the community. Things we like, things we don't like. You know, this one's really cool, but it's kind of far away. Or this one's not so great, but the location's really good. And maybe we can make it, make it work for us. Uh, and have those just sort of discussions out in the open and then get to the numbers. All right, here's what the rent's going to be and here's what the internet's going to be and here's what insurance is going to be. And how often do people actually want to use this thing was like one of the biggest questions that we didn't really know how to answer was, you know, I had seen the co-working spaces that existed before us fell into one of two categories. They were either the, um, I called them the sugar daddy model. So the agency that buys more space than they need and they rent out the excess at a, at a sort of subsidized price. The challenge there was a, I didn't need that. Um, and also my concern in the versions that I saw was, uh, if the agency grows quickly and needs that space, now the community is back out on the street. Or if the community outgrows the available space, it's not going to be able to afford it on its own because it's getting the sort of subsidized cost space. And the other version is sort of the traditional co-op model. Artist collectives do this all the time. We need a bunch of studios. Here's the price. We divide it by however many people are active. If somebody leaves, everyone's rent goes up. 
if somebody joins, everyone's rent goes down. And that, while practical in some cases, felt like a major stressor on the relationships. And so we wanted to sort of come up with a model that allowed people to join at levels that matched the level of participation that made sense to them now, which also meant they could upgrade in the future, but they could also downgrade in the future and that the business would be able to buffer that. And so we sort of smushed together the uh, the art. One of the good things from the arts co-op world, which was this idea of, of you know, it's not just paying rent, but you're also a contributor. Like you also help make it happen uh in the case of like you're going to help produce a certain number of events a year you're going to help on cleanup crew whatever it is like it's not just a place you pay rent for but it's a place you you help operate um and i i was uh in a fraternity in college as well at drexel and one of the things that made that work was a mix of in-house and out-of-house members you know the large number of out-of-house members that don't actually live in the fraternity house made it so that the fraternity house became a low cost living option for the ones who did, but we all got to share the common areas. So we sort of smushed those models together and I said, all right, we've got a bunch of people who don't need a place to work most of the time, but they really want a door to be able to walk through and on the other side of that door for there to be people that they know, that they trust, and that they can come here and we can host a meetup or we can just hang out. Like again, it's a, a clubhouse. And then there are a few people who want to be here a few days a week and and have a place to get out of the house uh, to maybe free up a, you know their spare bedroom or not be you know have to, to worry about the distractions of home. And there was a very 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 small number of people that actually wanted a dedicated desk, All, yeah, to to make their own spot. So I was I was one of them. I figured I would be there most of the time. And there was literally one other person who wanted that. The vast majority of these people didn't need an office. They just wanted to know that there was a place they could go. And that model mapped against a, a rough price point turned into actual numbers. And uh, as we were getting closer, we'd negotiated a lease with one of the spots that was right here in Old City. And it was the, sort of the right, you know, right price point, great location. Um, not that old city was a great location. It was that old city was not the spot where any of us lived. Right. So most of us were in sort of like queen village or South Philly, Northern liberties into Fishtown a little bit or West Philly. If we went into any one of those neighborhoods, we'd lose the other two thirds. So being somewhere that was relatively, relatively central was super valuable. Um, so like the night before I was going to go sign the lease, we held a membership signing party at uh what's now second story brewing here in old city it was called triumph then and i said bring your pens bring your checkbooks we can do payment processing online i'll sign the lease tomorrow if people pay for memberships tonight uh if you can do one month great if you can do three months even better if you can do six months that's even better uh and people so we had 22 members sign up that night and that gave us enough to cover sort of first, last, and some of the security. And it gave me the confidence to say, all right, I can empty the rest of my meager savings um, for covering you know, some Ikea desks and the first couple months of internet. And once we've got this place, let's make it sure that more people know where it is so that they can, they can join as well. Was there a moment that you decided to take point on this effort or were you sort of always naturally the leader of the group? I think 
I was the primary convener. Like other people, there was always an element of other people would call group the group together. But if it came to like an operational decision, like setting up the chat room or setting up the the um, the discussion list or setting up even a website, I was I was driving, but I was never alone. Uh, and I mean, if I was alone, I don't think I would have moved forward with it. But I also knew that there was this thing that I wanted, and I wasn't the only one who wanted it. On the same token, was there a moment when you saw this effort to give the community a home and also recognize the business opportunity that it was? I never saw it as this is like my cash cow. The reason we went the business route was from a perspective of sustainability. I looked at this and said, if this is going to be good, I want it to be able to stick around. And the reason to look at it from a perspective of a business was to make sure that if it was good and we wanted to keep doing it and we wanted to keep growing, that the business was able to support that. For me, the business was always the ability to say yes. You know, it's interesting you ask about me, whether or not I was the one sort of the operating, moving things forward. And I think the big thing was realizing that I was more the one removing excuses and barriers people would want to do stuff and i would be the one like yeah we should do that and people were like but what if and i'm like but what if like who's gonna tell us no and even when people did tell us no i was the first one to be like well then they don't have to come like like they we don't have to listen to what other people say to do the things that we want to do and i think that role was the one that i more naturally landed in than one of the all right gang rally the troops let's go like that's never really been my style of leadership it's more of a listen to what people want to do realize that they have things in common help them realize that they're not the only ones who want that and that they can go for it and it'd be better if they did it together so you get the first group you start visiting you start going every day yeah at what point do you see this growing, if any, if at any point, to the size it is today? So we were about a year in, and we had to start a waiting list. Uh, We had a waiting list on full-time spots, and our light membership, which is three days a week, we had a waiting list on that as well. So it was like a first-in, first-out kind of thing. And I did not really have my eyes set on growth, but it was we were having the best time ever. Like it was all the best parts about those jobs that I had in the past without all the worst parts. Like I had the group of people who I came in and everybody had each other's backs and everybody was really good at something, but everybody was good at different things. Um, we had an early member who had a great line that he used to say all the time. He said, Indy Hall's great because no one's the smartest kid in the room everyone's really good at something and you're really good at something and you probably don't realize that that thing is valuable until you share it with somebody who's not good at the exact same thing and that that dynamic where everyone's got something to teach everyone's got something to do um, people aren't here to take they're here to give was unbelievable and without the overhead of having to run an agency right all the best parts of having co-workers without the worst parts and uh, so if people want to keep coming, that's great. And it was one of our members who had gone uh, and did a meeting in a, a nearby building. And he said, I don't know if you're planning on 
growing this, but I was just in a space that I think could be pretty cool for Indie Hall. Do you want to go take a look at it? And we did. And it was like triple the size. I was just like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what am I about to get myself into? Uh, and brought it back to my business partner. And I was like, there's this thing. And, you know, we've got the waiting list and the waiting list seems to be getting a little bigger faster than it's getting smaller. So, you know, what if we kind of go back to square one and take it to the community the same way we did before? And basically we, we, we called a community town hall, invited all the members that could come to come. We invited the public to come as well. Uh, Councilman Bill Green was uh, uh, on city council at the time. He was in the room for it. And, uh, and we did a little presentation where it was like, all right, uh, we've been here for a little over a year. Here are the numbers. Here's how we've grown. This is what we're hearing from people. People still want to show up. And um, there's this kind of interesting opportunity around the corner. And we don't have to do it. But if people want to do it, take out your checkbooks. Got a membership signing yeah. to do. And how did they react? And people were super into it and so excited. And not because it was a new place, but because it opened up a whole new channel of of opportunities to grow into sort of the next chapter of ourselves, you know, we, our space was full and you know, when it wasn't full, it was easier for us to hold like a meetup or a class. And now we've got people stuck in every corner in a desk and you can't really hold a meetup quite as well. So we can get back to being able to do that stuff. Also, we were originally on an alley. And so being on, a, on third street instead of on strawberry street in yeah. Old city was a pretty big upgrade. <laughs> Have you or Indy hall found it's harder to keep the community as tight-knit as it's grown? Yeah, growing a community, scaling a community is one of the hardest things. Scale gives you more opportunity, but it's harder for people to find the one-on-one -on -one that they need in that particular moment within the bigger pool of people, right? So we do more work to help people build their own relationships rather than be the source of those relationships ourselves. Uh, the sort of the way I think about it is uh, it, it's sort of a, an experience design where how do we make it so that when somebody comes in, they realize that there is more than one. In fact, there are many ways for you to come in, have a productive work day, to leave feeling better than you came and to leave with a new connection or relationship if that's what you want that day. And not necessarily the thing that you're looking for, but to the the serendipitous opportunities throughout the course of a day or a week or multiple interactions, they don't just give you the thing you're looking for. They give you things you, you didn't even know you were looking for. It's, just, it's a tough thing to, to offer people and then say, I don't know when you're going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> so throughout this time in Philadelphia, you were the first, if not one of the first co-working spaces, these types of communities in Philadelphia quite a few more have popped up and, and some of them are big name changes that are in every city. What were your first thoughts when you started seeing these competitors crop up? Or do you even consider them competitors? Uh, you know, the word co-working is now being used to describe so many different things. I watched it happen in other cities before I watched it happen here. Uh, I've been really active in the sort of global ecosystem of co-working and taking lessons we've learned here and sharing them with people all over the world. And there's people all over the world who contact us every week saying, how do we learn from you and do things like the way you do it at Indie Hall? Yeah. And so I watched that happen. I watched the chains pop up elsewhere before I saw them here. And so I, I kind of got to see it coming. And 
with the sort of emotional distance from it's not happening in my backyard just yet. And when it did happen in my backyard, I had to give myself the same advice that I gave everyone else. Which was? They aren't your competition. In the same way that a couple of restaurants down the street aren't their direct competition. For, like nobody comes to a city full of restaurants or a neighborhood full of restaurants and says they're all in direct competition with each other. They say, what an amazing restaurant scene. Look at all of these amazing options. And if co-working is a commodity, which sometimes it's treated as, where people are just choosing between an office and an office, and the only difference between them is location and the price, roughly speaking, then yeah, you've got something to be worried about. But the reason people come to Indie Hall isn't the location and it's not the price and it's not any of the physical places we've been. It's always been the people, whether they know those people. A lot of people join Indie Hall after knowing a bunch of members. A lot of people come here not knowing anybody, but looking forward to meeting somebody. The reason people come to Indie Hall are the other people. And if every co-working space is made up of a different group of people, which it is by default, then I don't have to worry about competition because there is no other room full of the same makeup of people anywhere in the world. There's ones that might be close. I've yet to find them. And we've done work with uh, some of the, the local players here in Philadelphia as well. I really don't view them as competition. And that sounds way easier to say. Uh, the most interesting thing is I think members of our respective spaces view us as competition more than I and the other operator view each other as competition. So looking around at any hall today, so, so much bigger than, you know, those first few days when you guys were in the coffee shop, where's it headed? If I think about the next 10 years of Indie Hall, I want to see more people go out and do their own thing. I think more people can. I think more people want to do it than ever before, but more people are hesitating to do it. And to put it in maybe a different context, I got really frustrated with the Amazon HQ2. This might sound like it's out of left field, but I promise this connects. No, no, it's great. The the Amazon HQ2 bid was frustrating in a lot of ways. Um, One of them was the amount of people who jumped at the chance to support this giant organization that really doesn't need anybody else's support, frankly made me a little frustrated and jealous at where were they when we were trying to make a go of things and we really could have used the help. And who are the people who are less well-connected than we were or are that could really use that support, right? So there's that part of things. And I know there are people that are super pro and those people that are super con on the Amazon HQ2 coming to Philly being a good thing or a bad thing. I'll say that I'm quite confidently in the, this is a bad idea, guys. We probably shouldn't. There are good things that come out of it, but there are really bad things that come out of it. And I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. We've got one company offering us 50,000 jobs. And it turns out that that's enough to get City Hall to do backflips, to get the business community to come together, talk about how great Philadelphia is for the first time in maybe ever. One company creating 50,000 jobs is about the worst way to do it. All these liabilities and and if you know we do a deal now in 10 years, then they double down and say, well, what are you going to give us now? Otherwise, we're taking all these jobs with us. 
But if you were to break up those 50,000 jobs into their component parts, where it's maybe five companies creating 10,000 jobs or 10 companies creating 5,000 jobs or so on and so forth, we end up with the potential for a more resilient business ecosystem where no one player can bully the city, bully the citizens, bully the fellow business community. And I don't think 50,000 entrepreneurs at the other end of the spectrum is a better answer either. But I do think that it is entirely possible to put the same amount of effort into attracting one company with 50,000 jobs, frankly, put a fraction of the effort into helping 10,000 people become or stay independent long enough that they can hire their first person, right? Because once you hire one, the odds of you hiring a second go up, a third go up. And the odds of 10,000 entrepreneurs, you know, on a spread, averaging five hires is extremely high. A couple of those have the potential to become thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even another Amazon 50,000. You know, one of those out of 10,000 could be a 50,000, but the reality is it doesn't have to in order for this to be a success. So what I would love for Indie Hall to be in the next 10 years is one of a collection of voices unifying around that idea of helping 10,000 people become and stay independent, work on your terms. That doesn't necessarily even mean start a company. That means here's how to get a job working for a company that lets you choose where you work, whether that's in a co-working space in Philadelphia or whether that's traveling the world. I don't actually care. It's just that you learn how to work on your own terms that those numbers will net out. And I also think it would be fascinating if I can get a little bit um, hypothetical about it, where imagine Philadelphia does win the Amazon bid. I don't think it's actually going to happen. Imagine Philadelphia wins the bid. Imagine if at the same time City Hall allocates 5% of whatever it promised Amazon in order to get that bid into the same effort of helping 10,000 people become and stay independent. And then in 10 years... When Amazon does come back and say, let's re-up our deal, they can look at these two deals side by side and say which one of them generated what and actually have some leverage. So I don't think it's a reason not to do the Amazon deal, but I think it's a really smart hedge if the city wanted to get involved. How cool would it be for people to move to Philadelphia because it's the best place in the country to go out and do your own thing? That would be amazing. And I think we have the ability, like back to the quality of life, business opportunity, cost of living, and then a resource like this, that's it. In, inside of a 10-year arc, it's as bombastic as it can sound. I think it's a really achievable goal. Yeah. And I think that we already are further along it than, than maybe even we realize. Yeah, I think so. You know, your passion for Philadelphia is so palpable. And an article... <clears throat> Uh, that you said you were talking about traveling to other places. Now, one thing that I've noticed a lot uh, in the different podcast guests is that, you know, a lot of them will travel to other places in the world, other cities. Some of them, some of these cities may be the hub of whatever industry they're in. Uh, and they they still love to come back to Philly and they're still here and they stay here. And you're quoted as saying, every time I travel for work or pleasure, I come back and it's special. Yeah. Tell me why it's special. Because it's mine. I mean, it's ours. But like, I think there's something, I'm getting a little teary here. <clears throat> Philly is a city with all the scale and scope of a real city. But unlike all the other cities that are even in the top 10, I don't 
I don't think you can carve out your thing the way you can carve out your thing here. Like it goes beyond being a big fish in a small pond. There are fewer people here that are going to tell you you can't. And it's a big enough city that a single person can make a really big difference. I've yet to find anywhere else that's got that. And it's, uh, it makes me realize how fortunate I am to have what we have here. But also to realize that there's other people that can do this too. Anybody can come into this city and make it better than they found it. And I think that's why Philly has been on this amazing rise for the last 10 years is I think some people figure that out. And I say 10 years, truthfully, it's more like 30, but like things have accelerated in the last 10 because of people who left and came back or people who found it for the first time and realized no one's going to tell me no. And if they do, I don't have to listen to them. On the flip side, from your perspective here as, you know, a co-working and community uh, leader, what's the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? I still think we're really bad at talking about ourselves. I mean, this show is doing really great work in that realm and helping people get the practice to articulate it. But I think a lot of people who love Philadelphia and work really hard to make Philadelphia their home and their their life struggle to answer the question, why Philadelphia, without an hour and a half long podcast. Yeah. So, or without like in some way being apologetic or, you know, self-deprecating. But I think, you know, we're, we've gotten better at marketing ourselves without comparing ourselves to another city. It still happens. But I think there's a lot of work and practice to be done to be able to say, this is why Philly. And a lot of it, it starts with us marketing us to ourselves. Like, forget the rest of the world. We need to be able to tell each other why our neighborhood is great without having to tra trash talk another one. Like, we have multiple amazing neighborhoods. They can all be good and still be within Philadelphia. They can be good at different things. And that's something that takes some confidence, but really just takes some practice. And I think... Like I said, we're better than we, we ever have been, but having a, a unified message. So people think of a city and they've got a thing they know it for. And I think the things that Philly is, Philly is known for are things that we used to be, not what we are now, because we're still not good enough at talking about the things we really are now. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, if you could send a message that every Philadelphian would receive, what would you say? Meet your neighbors. The origin of Indy Hall was really me figuring out how to meet my neighbors, not necessarily my most immediate direct neighbors, but like my fellow Philadelphians. And I think about all the time I've spent in places where I see faces without learning names or stories I even think about being here in Old City and how much we've put into our building our community here in Old City. When we launched the farmer's market over at Christchurch a few years ago, I met more Old City neighbors in four hours of a farmer's market than I had in 10 years of running a co-working space on the same street. 
Uh, if you could send a message to yourself in the past at any point, other than just, you know, vague sort of, you can do it, words of encouragement, would you? And if so, what would you say? I definitely would. And I would remind myself that not everyone has to understand right away. Like the hardest arcs within Indie Hall and my career in general have been where I saw something and I knew it was going to be great. And then, you know, the haters show up, the detractors, or I just like, I haven't figured out the right way to say it to make people go, oh, I get it now. And to be willing to repeat myself over and over and over, I basically made a career out of repeating myself to tell a story that is meaningful, but also to listen and adapt the story so it makes sense to the person. Like try and find out enough that I would know why they care. Um, I think those are, I mean, that, that tracks back to every meaningful relationship that's ever been built. It hasn't been me showing up trying to get somebody on my side. It's me trying to find out who they are and where it is that we can connect. It's not that you don't, you don't win by collecting points of being right or being even being understood um but uh, and what's the line first seek to understand then to be understood and uh i think that's it maybe that's what i would tell myself first seek to understand then to be understood for more on alex and indie hall you can head over to podphillywho.com forward slash hillman that's h-i-l-l-m-a-n if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and tell a couple friends. You can also follow along on Instagram and Twitter at PodPhillyWho. Music by Lee Rosevere. Podcast art by Lauren Carhart. Special thanks to Alex for taking the time and being on the show. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. See you next week. <laughs>